it's interesting that the Chinese have a word which does not exist in English. The Chinese have been around a lot longer. And the word is weiji. And what it means is that catastrophe and opportunity are the same thing. And, and they are. Uh, all of us who think about it can understand that. Uh, so, yeah, when you see problems in China, I'll probably be panicking like everybody else. But please send me an email and say weiji so I can go in there and buy. <laughs> We stand today. The business method with a shout out. The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars in annual revenue. And now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results, economies, and cultures. There's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this, and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method ladies and gentlemen welcome to the podcast today on the mic we have a very special guest he is known as one of the world's go-to people for investing advice amassing a net worth of somewhere near 300 million dollars he's the founder and chairman of rogers holdings and the co-founder of the famous quantum fund and soros fund management that he built with george soros in the 80s He's the author of many top-selling books and has been someone that offers good and legitimate advice about business investing and living a good, well-balanced life, and his name is Jim Rogers. We were very excited when we found out that Jim accepted our invitation to come on the show because he is a personal hero of both Noah Lath, who joins us co-hosting today, and myself. I started following Jim back in 2008 when I began investing in gold and silver. He was a proponent of always having gold and silver, and I enjoyed listening to Jim on his interviews and learning from someone who seemed to have an incredible amount of insight and experience. Chatting with Jim was a blast because he's a very down-to-earth person who seems to value the important things in life like spending time with his family, going to the beach, travel, riding motorcycles, giving back, teaching others, and doing good in the world over amassing more and more wealth. We have some creative questions to ask Jim about life philosophy, influence, and what he would tell his 20-year-old self. But we also dig into those questions about investing today, where the markets are heading, his long-term views on economies, and we threw in a few questions that you guys sent us as well. You guys, without further ado, Jim Rogers. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. And Jim Rogers, I want to welcome you to the podcast. We are so incredibly excited. I know you're, you've been a personal inspiration and hero for both Noah and I for a long time, and uh, we want to thank you for coming on the show. We've been interviewing some pretty amazing entrepreneurs and investors over the past few years, and uh, we just love to get in the minds of those people and how they create uh, the success that they do and how they create the results that they do. Um, but first, we would just like to ask you a little 
little bit about your background. Now, I know you're a Southern, Southern gentleman, and uh, I'm just kind of curious. Was that hard for you to leave a place like Alabama, the backwoods of Alabama, to, to go to big universities in Wall Street? Was it a big change for you? It was a stupendous change, you know. I, I had, knew nothing about what I was getting into. When I got there, I knew nothing about what was going on, but I, had to, I couldn't go home. You know, because I went back in the small town. I told her I bragged and bragged and bragged. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm going to Yale, you know, so I couldn't get up there and fail. Yeah. So I had to work my head off and succeed. So I did. You and kind, I was scared to death. You kind of burned the, somehow, burned the bridges behind you, right? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, go, I couldn't go back and say, God, I couldn't make it there, you yeah. know, so I, I had to survive. Well, I, I can relate. I grew up in Missouri, and Noah is a refugee, and he uh, ended up in the Netherlands spending, building his career there. But thanks for sharing that. Noah, I think I'll just give the mic to you and start off with a couple of questions for Jim. Well, Jim, I, I have so many questions. I don't think we, we're going to even have them time for, for, the, for the next 30 minutes. But I've, I've read all your books and uh, followed you on, on, on many uh, mediums, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was impressed what you've achieved uh, in your life, uh, and especially, you know, breaking uh, uh, the, uh, the the indexes uh, by ten hundred folds uh, comparing to other uh, uh, fund managers. Um, today, I don't. Th- I'm not gonna ask you um, technical things or anything on that side, but mostly about like what was what from your point of view. If if when an interviewer asked uh, Bill Gates and 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 Warren Buffett similarly, they they asked him. Uh, what is the defining factor in your success? They both answered the uh, focus. From your point of view and, and in the sector that you were, uh, what is, let's say, a couple of characteristics that you thought, hey, that, that helped me if I compare myself to other successful people, that is something that really helped me a lot comparing to others. Well, focus, of course, is extremely important and everybody who is successful is focusing or he or she is unlikely to be successful. I, I would add or maybe substitute the word persistence. Uh, Persistence is maybe, it may be the same thing as focus in this case. You know, we all know smart people are not successful. We all know educated people are not successful. We all know beautiful people are not successful. We know talented people are not successful. The ones who are successful are the ones who never give up, who are persistent, persistent, persistent. And whether you call that persistence or focus, it's, in my view, it's probably the same thing. So you don't have to be educated in order to be successful. You don't even have to be beautiful if you persist or if you focus. True, true. And and what what gave you the energy to be uh, persistent, especially in in this time of instant gratification? Like, how can our audience, let's say, train their persistence from your point of view? Well, I was scared to death. I didn't have any choice. You know, I wanted I wanted to survive. I wanted to make I wanted to make a lot of money. But I also wanted to survive. And every day went to the office and there was this big pile of money there. Had to do something with it or I would be kicked out. Uh, we would all be kicked out. So, and, and, the, and, and it's because I adored what I was doing. I loved, loved, loved what I was doing. I yes. couldn't believe when I found Wall Street, here was a place that they would pay me to do what I loved, pay me to know what was going on in the world and, and react to it and invest. So, I mean, it was because I loved what I was doing and I really didn't want to do anything else. From your point of view, uh, the, the fact that you had an amazing peer group in Yale, all high achievers, all smart people, um, did you 
did that influence also your life? Well, they were all smarter than I was. They were all more, you know, more knowledgeable than I was, better prepared than I was. So it was the same thing. I had to scramble. You know, I had to survive. I didn't have any choice. After Yale, I went to Oxford. Same thing. They, they all knew a whole lot more about everything than I did. So I was, I was in over my head everywhere I went, including Wall Street. So I didn't have any choice but to keep trying, keep persisting. And regarding, let's say, mentorships, did you have any specific mentors that, that taught you, uh, that you chose by accident or by well, I, I, I don't, cannot remember any. I'm, I'm frequently asked that question. I do not remember any mentors, uh, other, maybe my father, but he, that was by accident, and he didn't even know he was being my mentor, and I didn't know either. But a lot of what I learned was of personal traits and habits was from my parents. But yes. no, I cannot remember any mentor. If you were, Jim, if you were talking to a young investor today or somebody that inspired to be an investor, maybe they're 20 years old or so, and you were looking at the different people you would recommend them to follow or to use as their leaders, is there anybody other than yourself that you would tell them to watch and listen to and to follow? No, what I would really tell them is to uh, be true to yourself, uh, figure out what you your own passions are and then to pursue them. Don't listen to your friends, your parents, or even your professors, because if you really have something that you're desperate to do, they're probably going to laugh at you and tell you not to do it. Uh, so unless you can find another nut like you who realizes that, gosh, I have the greatest idea in the world. You know, the guys who have Bill Gates didn't have a mentor. Nobody else knew what he was doing. They threw him out of Harvard. Because, you know, nobody understood his, his craziness. So most people should just go ahead and pursue their own madness. And that's those are the people who are happy because they're doing what they love. And they're usually successful because they love what they're doing. And even if they're not successful, they don't care. They're happy. So what do they care <laughs> if they're not successful as long as they're happy? So, no, my be your own mentor is, I guess, my advice. That's great advice. In, in, are you familiar with Mac, Malcolm Gladwell's concept of the tipping point, Jim? Well, I know the words tipping point, so I, I understand. I guess I understand what it means. I don't know Mr. Gladwell. Do you know? Or, 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 it, would you say in your career, was there ever a moment that you consider a significant like benchmark or tipping point that shifted things for you? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, when I would finally realize, oh, my gosh, we should be investing in this in a big way. Uh, of course, I, I never knew if I was right or not, and I was always assuming I wasn't. But uh, some of those things turned out to really do extremely well. Uh, so that would be a tipping point in that, in that sense. Not quite the sense you meant, but yes, when I would finally get it right and everything would come together and, you know, they'd all go up or go down to, if we were short them. Uh, and I guess when I made it around the world the first time on my motorcycle, Oh, yeah. I had some motor, motorcycle trips in the 80s uh, culminating in uh, successfully going around the world. That was probably a tipping point because then I realized I could do it. So I did it again. Uh, <laughs> maybe having my first child, I was very, very, very much against children all my life. I couldn't believe that anybody would be so foolish as to have a child. But then I had one and I realized I was wrong. I was 100% wrong. <laughs> That was certain, certainly a tipping point. That has changed uh, the last uh, 15 years of my life enormously. 16 now. Uh, those are a few things that I can think of. 
Uh, but I doubt if that's the, the sense in which Mr. Gladwell or whatever his name is meant it. But that's <laughs> it could very much that, be the same. Just just real quick, I think Noah has a couple more questions, but. Noah and I are both uh, motorcycle enthusiasts also. What's your bike of choice these days? Well, I'm embarrassed to tell you I don't have a bike at the moment. I, I had several BMWs, but I've moved to Singapore and had children. Singapore is not a great motorcycling country. For one thing, the speed limit is 90K, uh, and there are not many motorcycle roads. It's a very small country. Yeah. So I don't have a bike at the moment. I have little girls instead. Speaking of your children, you, you, you've raised them, let's say, more, more focused on Asia, what I understood from your interviews uh, in the past. Asia is now like declining the growth. A lot of people are leaving China, a lot of uh, Western entrepreneurs, but even Chinese entrepreneurs are leaving China. Um, the BRIC countries are not the BRIC countries they used to be. Uh, from your point of view, let's say, the new emerging markets that the mass investors didn't attack yet. What, imagine... I'm 30 and I have a million or 2 million or 10 million to invest. Where should I focus, let's say, my, my, uh, for the next 10 years? Go to the beach and rest <laughs> for a while and, and learn. Get yourself a motorcycle and drive around the world. Uh, well, first of all, the bricks never were the bricks. That was some absurd, insane concept that some guy who had no clue what he was doing, and I've told him to his face, uh, he had no clue what he was doing. And we, we know now, the world knows now, Yes. He, he had no clue what he was doing. Uh, the only one of those bricks that was ever worth anything was China. Uh, I'm now very bullish on Russia, but it certainly wasn't back then, 15 years ago when he came. Be, you know, well, let's not dwell on that. Um, I'm not optimistic about Brazil at the moment. Brazil is a country that whenever, whenever raw materials do well, they have a commodities boom and they do great. And then commodities go down and they have a military coup. You know, have another dictatorship. Uh, so most of those in India's a mess, despite what the Indian propaganda says. So I, I'm not a fan of BRICS, if you will. Uh, but looking around the world, probably the most exciting country in the world right now is about to be Korea because they're going to join or open up. It will be an extremely exciting country for the next 10 or 20 years. Uh, Russia, having been a disaster for most of the 50 years that I knew about it, is now turning around as a great place. Um, China, of course, but China is certainly having problems. But I would remind you, Noah, uh, America became the most successful country in the 20th century, but along the way we had a horrible civil war. We had 15 depressions with a D. We had very few human rights. We had no rule of law. We had massacres in the street. I mean, you could buy and sell, con you can still buy and sell congressmen in America, but they used to be cheap, very cheap in the, <laughs> as, America was, as, as America was rising. So, yeah, China's going to have plenty of problems. Everybody does who rises, whether it's a company or a family or an individual or a country. Nothing unusual about it. It's interesting that the Chinese have a word which does not exist in English. The Chinese have been around a lot longer. And the word is weiji. And what it means is that catastrophe and opportunity are the same thing. And, and they are. Uh, all of us who think about it can understand that. Uh, so, yeah, when you see problems in China, I'll probably be panicking like everybody else. But please send me an email and say weiji so I can go in there and buy <laughs> But don't think China's not going to have problems. I guarantee you they are. I just don't know what and when. Um, other places right now, 
you know, Zimbabwe. I mean, it's tiny, but it's a disaster. Uh, Ghana, Ghana was a disaster. It's turning around. They have smart people running it now. I'm not sure they have smart people running uh, Zimbabwe at the moment, but it's getting so bad that something's going to happen. Venezuela, of course, is a nightmare. They seem to understand that they've got a disaster on their hands and seem to be willing to do something, although America's interfering and and will probably make it worse. Um, Look around for some disasters uh, or look around for something like uh, Korea, which is going to be extremely exciting. Yes, well, I'm a, I'm a big on crisis investing, and I was in in Russia a couple of uh, months ago to to search in in Petersburg for uh, for very interesting, uh, and and you can see, let's say, there is some changes there. And I, oh and yeah. I, and I, what I understood from your uh, one of your interviews is that you're quite big on agriculture and pharma. And for our audience, can you a bit elaborate? Because most farmers that that I know. Uh, are being or squeezed or merged out by big pharma or big agro. How, how do you see that? No question. I said agriculture is a disaster. It's been a nightmare for 35 years. Things are so bad that the average age of farmers in America is 58. In Japan, it's 66. The highest rate of suicide in the UK is in agriculture. Millions of Indian farmers have committed suicide. More people in America study public relations than study agriculture. But, Noah, I hope your parents taught you to buy low and sell high. Noah, agriculture is a nightmare, and it has been for a long time. But throughout history, there have been long cycles. If you read history or literature, you'll know that at times, farmers have had been on top of the world. And at other times, there have been disasters like now, and it's changing. From your question, I don't know if you specifically meant Russian agriculture or world agriculture, yeah. Russian agriculture and Chinese agriculture is a disaster and is a place that people should learn about investing, especially Russian and Chinese agriculture. Russian, because the Americans have put sanctions on to punish the Russians, and every day Russian farmers wake up and say, thank you, Mr. Trump, thank you, <laughs> because that Russian agriculture is booming, booming under the punishment of American sanctions. Nobody can send stuff to Russia, so they don't have any competition. They have they got all the market they want, everything. All the Russian farmers are booming. And in China, same more or less same thing. It's been a disaster worldwide, including in China. But the government, Beijing, now says, look out the window. You know, for the past 35 years, the cities have boomed. And my gosh, they have. But they say, but the people in the countryside have not participated like Shanghai or Guangzhou. Now they'll do anything they can. You're tired of your life, Noah? Move to China and become a farmer. Beijing will do everything they can to help you. You don't want to be a farmer? Open a restaurant. You know, Beijing will do everything they can to help you in the countryside. So I'm very optimistic about agriculture, especially in Russia and especially in uh, China. If you are now, will be 20 527 and you'll start your career now you'll go you'll go to these two countries china or russia and start something there or would you do something totally different well it would depend on what your interests are but yes china is going to be the most important country in the uh, 21st century there will be setbacks along the way so sure but if you're only 20 and you have the time maybe you go to yeah korea or china but you should go to china and learn mandarin is what I would do if I were 20 years old. 
Jim, we have some questions from our regular listeners that they wanted to shoot out to you. Um, one of the questions that came through is, what role does machine learning play in your investing, and how do you see it impacting the field of investing now and in the future? Well, I don't know anything about it, machine learning. I wish I did, and I could, I could learn something, uh, certainly better than my poor, pathetic brain. Uh, but what I read... From what I read about artificial intelligence, machine learning, call it what you will, it's going to change everything we know. No, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be brilliant. Many jobs are going to disappear. But don't worry about that, Chris. Electricity made many jobs disappear, and somehow the world has thrived, even though electricity made many jobs disappear. So don't worry about, about blockchain or artificial intelligence, machine learning, call it what you will. Um, another question from uh, one of our listeners. What would you consider your worst investment you ever made? And if you could go back and change it, would you? Well, I made so many mistakes in my, I guess, uh, my first wife. Let me tell you about my first wife. <laughs> what a disaster. What a mistake that was. What a horrible disaster that was. You know, uh, and we split and I didn't even want to split. I was upset when we split and I ran into her by chance the other day. And Chris, I am so glad. I praise the Lord that I am not married to that woman anymore. What a nightmare. What a horrible life I would have had for the past several decades if I was still married to her. Yes. So everything probably turns out, if you learn from it, probably turns out to be a good thing. <laughs> I, I wrote a book, wrote a, wrote a book reason for my daughter's uh, lesson to learn. One of them is. You know, suicide is becoming more and more popular, but don't do it because no matter how bad things get, yeah. just wait. Just <laughs> wait. It's going to get better. It'll go away. Like my first wife, she went away and I got so much happier <laughs> and so much more successful when she went away, okay. even though I was miserable for a while. Um, another one from our listeners. Do you hedge against the effects of climate change, higher sea levels, more severe weather conditions, mass migration of people? Well, first of all, how do you hedge? Second of all, uh, you can go back through history and you see we've always had climate change. You know, scientists look at the trees, they look at the icebergs, they look at lots of things, uh, deposits in the seas. We've always had climate change. We've always survived. You know, the Sahara Desert used to be unbelievably fertile farmland, cows, goats, everything else. Now it's the Sahara Desert. Yeah. It's been the worst, one of the worst ecological nightmares that we could imagine. Somehow or another, mankind has survived. Mankind will survive. We've always had climate change, and it's coming again. But when I say again, it's always here. It's always climate change, so I don't pay too much attention. I do want agriculture. If it happens fast, which it rarely has, it's going to make all the farmers even richer, the ones at the right places anyway. Uh, we'll do a couple more questions, but Noah, do you, do you want to have one and we'll go back to the audience lessons? Yes. Um, like last 14 September was uh, the longest, uh, the date where the longest um, uh, bullish market uh, of history. Uh, what, what is like your opinion on the next crisis? Like what's going to happen? How can our listeners uh, protect themselves except buying gold? Do you have any, any advices that, that, you, you would like to share with us? Well, my main, well, first, it has been the longest uh, bull market in U.S. history. 
We're going to have bear markets again. We always have. Now, Janet Yellen, who used to head the central bank in America, said, no, no, we're not going to have any more economic problems. We're not going to have any more. For I'm sorry for laughing. Uh, it's so such an absurd thing that a Ivy League, an Ivy League PhD would say, but she did. Uh, we're going to have problems again, I assure you. And Noah, the next one is going to be the worst in our life, my lifetime, and I think I'm older than you. You know, uh, 2008, we had a problem because of too much debt. Noah, since 2000, debt, uh, 2008, debt has skyrocketed yeah, everywhere. Even China, which had nothing, had virtually no debt in 2008. Had a lot of money saved for a rainy day. It started raining. They helped save the world. They spent their money. But now everybody, everybody has staggering more debt. So the next time around, unless Mrs. Yellen is right, it's going to be the worst we've ever seen because the debt is just stupendous. Stupendous now, except in North Korea. (laughs) That's because nobody would lend money. Nobody would lend money. So North Korea is going to come out okay. They don't have any debt. (laughs) So... You, you've had a lot of experience. You've seen a lot of depressions. You've seen a lot of, of correction, market correction, but also uh, crisis. Um, now, according to all the big money masters like uh, Charlie Munger, Ray Dalio, uh, and even Jack Bogle, may, may he rest in peace, uh, he even said that he never met anyone uh, that uh, could time the market. Um, but is there still a strategy to possibly survive and even thrive in the next uh, beer markets, according to you? Yeah, by disaster. I mean, remember the Chinese word, Wei Qi. But I I don't know how to time it. Uh, We all know what panic looks like. Uh, We've read about it. We've seen it. Uh, Most of us, including me, are rarely brave enough are smart enough to jump in when it's the most hysteria going on in the world. It's great theory, and I try to do it sometimes. Uh, but no, I don't, I'm, not a mar- I'm not a successful market timer. Uh, I don't know anybody who is. I'm sure it must be somebody, but I'm not he. Uh, but my only advice is two things. Don't listen to other people. Only invest in what you yourself know a lot about. Just stay with what you know. If I told you you're only going to have 20 investments in your life, you'd be very careful. You wouldn't be jumping around all the time. You'd stay until you knew you had a good uh, investment. And, and otherwise, just stay and do nothing. Do nothing until you find something you yourself know is going to be great. And if that means, first of all, if that means you don't know anything to invest in, don't worry. Put your money in the bank. There's going to be an opportunity coming, I assure you. And somewhere along the line, you will find something that you yourself know is going to be good. Jim, don't, listen to, don't listen to Chris or Noah or Jim Rogers. Just listen. stay with what you know. <laughs> Jim, we know you're partners with George Soros, and, and G- George has talked about using uh, intuition at times to help choose investments. I'm curious, is this something that you do as well, or, or is that something you've ever practiced? Well, Chris, you would have to ask him. I haven't seen him for 40 years. You might as well ask me about my first wife. <laughs> ask, ask me about Soros. I mean, we all use intuition, whether we know it or not. At times, uh, we all jump in when we say it's the right time, it's the right stock, it's the right whatever. No, no matter how much research we do, in the end, we, it's, coming, it's coming down to intuition. Uh, unless you're a, 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 a robot. We were talking before, but even robots have human brains input, 
So somewhere, even as very indirectly, robots have human intuition built in. That's a good point. Um, this series of podcasts, Jim, we're interviewing um, people that have a major influence on economies and people and, and decision-making for others. Um, I'm curious, being a successful person that you are, what are ways that you're using your influence to do good? Well, the best you can do for the world is do well for yourself because then you can do things for other people. Uh, I would not suggest that most people who are successful go down and work at the soup kitchen one day a week or something. They're better off pursuing their own success and then, then they can buy the soup kitchen if they want to. They can do a whole lot more for the world. Uh, I give money to education. Uh, I give money to a lot of things, but my main emphasis would be on education because certainly education changed my life, yanked me out of the backwoods of Alabama, uh, changed it for better or for worse. So what the main thing I give money to is education, but I don't give it to the to the universities. You know, I learned very early on uh, that. You give money to the university's professors and the staff and the administration take very good care of themselves first. If there's any left, the students get some of it. So I give it straight to the student or I make sure it goes to the students, not to the administration because they're well taken care of. <laughs> Along the lines of education, Jim, um, let's just say for American schools, what would you want to see changed in the educational systems there? Probably we should abolish them and start over. Uh, I don't, you know, American education, when I was a kid, I mean, I thought I was being well-educated, and I probably was, certainly compared to what's going on now. We had study, we had classes, we had homework, we had exams, we had things that you had to worry about. Uh, whether I'm right or not is irrelevant, but we do know that when American kids take the international exams, they're not even in the top 20 anymore. Mm. So something dramatically has to happen. America, they don't fail people anymore. They teach you self-esteem. They teach you whatever they teach you. It's not playing well on the international examinations. And it's certainly America is not competitive anymore. Uh, we used to be very competitive. We now are the largest debtor nation in the history of the world. For the past 30 years, we've not been competitive. We run up huge debts. Because we don't, we cannot compete for many reasons, but a lack of sound education is one of them. So somebody's got to start over. Jim, one more question. We'll get you out of here. What's one question that you never get asked that you wish people asked you more often? I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> how to get to the beach. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I would learn to learn to do nothing in my life. Uh, fortunately, I've never learned to do nothing. I've always been extremely active, and no matter what it is, I'm never bored. I guess I would like for somebody to teach me how to get bored. <laughs> that sounds like a good, a good state of mind, but I've never been there. I'm always having too much fun, doing too many things. That's great. Jim, we want to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your tip, tips and tricks and all your wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. My pleasure, Chris. My pleasure, Noah. And let's do it again sometime. Let's do it. Thank you. Bye, Thank you. Bye bye. 
Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.